0: Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 1030 a.m. at 1211 First Avenue North on the third floor. Is the single greatest objection to Christianity. Most of us, well, I would assume all of us, um, have friends who don't uh, believe that the Christian faith is true. If we were to sort of go out and ask them, if we were to go to, to Bandit Coffee or to Green Bench or to Red Mesa, and sort of just start asking people, y- you don't believe in Christianity, why is that? What's, what's, what's the big problem? You know, some of the answers we might get, well, I don't, I don't like the morals. I don't like the ethics of Christianity. I don't like the way that it tells us that we can do this and can't do that. I don't like the way that it sort of sets out the rules that I don't necessarily agree with or think is right. Some other people may say, well, you know, just the, the fact that a God exists, that's what I can't buy into. That's what I don't like. I don't like, I don't like the idea that there's a God, right? Some other people may say, well, maybe it's, it's the miracles of the Bible, right? You know, I mean, I'm okay with their, you know, Jesus being a good teacher, but this whole virgin birth, resurrection, that parting of the Red Sea thing in the Old Testament, come on, guys, we've got science here. I'm not, right? And they may object based on on the miracles. Other people um, may just say, you know what? I grew up in the church. I grew up in the church and I had a terrible experience. Maybe the people uh, didn't live what they taught. Maybe they just uh, weren't helpful at all. And so, you know what? Because of that past experience, I'm I'm leaving it all behind. And so we, we might get sort of all of these things wrapped into one. We might get them sort of pieces and here and there. But I think that what really is underneath so many of these and so many of our objections to Christianity is one thing. The real core of the reason that people struggle to believe in Christianity, in Jesus, in the Bible, is because we don't want to submit to another authority. We want to be autonomous. I want to make my own way. When you think about some of those objections, the objections like, I don't like what the Bible teaches about this part of morality or that. I don't like the ethics of this or that. At the end of the day, what that's saying is, I don't want to submit myself to what the Bible says about this. I don't want to submit to the fact that the Bible says that Jesus was born of a virgin. I don't want to believe that Jesus rose from the dead physically, that he was dead and then he wasn't. See, because all of us are sort of the cultural air that we breathe is autonomy. Right? I want to be able to have whatever I want. I was I was hanging out with some friends the other night and we got hungry, right? And we didn't feel like going anywhere, and we couldn't agree on where to go. So what did we do? All three people ordered Uber Eats from different places. Right? They wanted into number nine. I wanted Brooklyn South. Somebody else wanted Taco Sun, and so we all fired up our phones, placed our order because I didn't want to submit to the tyranny of Engine Number Nine. Right? I had had a hamburger the day before. Right? I didn't want another hamburger. Right? So what do we do? I'm my own boss. I make my own way. Right? This is why. This is why places like Chipotle and Fresh Kitchen and Five Guys are so popular. Why? Because when you go to engine number nine to get a hamburger, they tell you, here's your hamburger. This one comes with guacamole. That one has bacon. That's the way it is. What happens when you go to Five Guys? You stand there, and you look at that enormous board of menu. Board of menu. That's not a sentence. You look at that huge menu of options, and you sort of stand there and the lady calls you up to take your order, and you're like, ah, onions, mustard, A1. I think pickles would go with that. Right? And you sort of just you choose your own adventure. The same is true right? when you go to Chipotle. You go down the line, right? yes, I'll have that. I'll have this rice, I'll have that rice. Yes, I know, guacamole is extra. Right? Why, do we, why are we drawn to places like that? Why do we sit and order three different Uber Eats? Because the cultural air we breathe is autonomy. And the thing that we buck against culturally, really hard, is submitting to another authority. We don't like that. Whether it's large or small, whether it's authority in a big way or authority in a small way, we all struggle to submit to outside authority. And this is very true when it comes to the Bible. You see, whether we're Christians or not, the place where most of us run into a problem when it comes to submitting to the authority of God is with the idea of hell. Even saying that, everybody sort of got a little quiet. Right? Why? Because we don't like to talk about hell. Makes us uncomfortable. And we kind of wish it wasn't there. Right? I won't take a show of hands, but if how many of you guys would say, you know, if I could rewrite the Bible and take a couple things out, yeah, that hell part, those parts about hell, yeah, I would take those out. Right? Why? Why does hell make us uncomfortable? Well, it makes us uncomfortable because some of us object to it and say, well, if God is a loving God, why, why would there be a hell? Or some of us object to the idea of hell because we sort of go, well, if there is a hell, somebody I know is probably going to be there, and I don't like that. Or we sort of object to the idea of hell because, you know, when you say that there is a hell, it feels like that we are judging people and sending them there. But just by believing it, it feels like we are sentencing people to it. And then you sort of have the other side of the story where in, in years past in Christianity and, and in present times too, there are some people that are way too excited about hell and way too quick to remind you that if you do X, Y, and Z, that's where you'll end up. right? We have, we have met these people or at least seen them on TV or the internet right? that are very happy to talk to you about hell. But as we sort of read the pages of the Bible what we see is that we're uncomfortable with the idea of hell because it means that our lives and our actions have consequences. And I don't like to think about that. I don't like to think about the fact that my life has consequences. I don't like to think about that because if I sort of am honest and I sort of look down the line at my life and all of a sudden I have to deal with the fact that my life has consequences, I'm not excited about what that might mean. And so we shy away from it. We sort of avoid it. And then we come to this statement in the Apostles' Creed that Jesus descended into hell. And we sort of want to skip over that part. Right? I wish that wasn't at the top of the slide. Like when our slides change when we're saying the Apostles' Creed, that one is like at the top and it's like, man, that's that's a tough one, right? Because, you know, even if I have a even if you struggle with the virgin birth, like you kind of understand it, but then when it comes to this Jesus descended into hell, that has a, a personal emotional feeling attached to it. Anytime we say the word hell, especially in a religious context, So here's what I want to do this morning. This is a strange phrase in the Apostles' Creed. To be honest, it was probably the last part of the Apostles' Creed that was written. It was sort of the last part that was inserted. And even since it was inserted, there have been sort of debates over exactly what does it mean. Why is it that in the most distilled and clear version of the Christian faith that we have, we have this phrase, he descended into hell. What I want to do is I want to look at a passage from the Old Testament, one of the Psalms of David. I want to read through the first half of that and see what exactly this means that Jesus descended to hell. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to Psalm 22. Um, If you don't, there's a Bible on our app on the phone, um, or it'll be here um, for you to see and read. So I'm going to read it, and I'd ask that you would stand together with me as we read Psalm 22 We're going to read the first 11 verses. David wrote, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, from the words of my groaning? O my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel in you our fathers trusted they trusted and you delivered them to you they cried and were rescued in you they trusted and were not put to shame but I am a worm and not a man scorned by mankind despised by the people all who see me mock me they make their mouths at me they wag their heads he trusts in the Lord let him deliver him let him rescue him for he delights in him Yet, you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for the trouble is near, and there is none to help. City Church, this is the word of God, written nearly 3,000 years ago, but intended for us this morning. You may be seated. So this is not exactly the happiest passage in the Bible. Fair to say. Right? David wrote this when he was on the run. David had grown up, he had defeated Goliath, he had sort of accidentally upstaged the king Saul, and then to make matters worse, Samuel the prophet went to David and said, by the way, David, you're going to be the next king. Now, how do you think the current king felt about that. Right? Not so great. So Saul decided the best way to do this is, David will never become king if I kill him. Hmm? Can't be king if you're dead. Hmm? Think about it. Right? So he decides he's going to kill David. So David is on the run. He is literally living in caves with no friends. And he writes this psalm where he basically says, God, I am crying out to you, and it sure seems like you are not listening. I remember the stories that I grew up with. I remember the way that my parents told me that you parted the Red Sea, that you brought the people out of Egypt. I remember the way that you said that I was going to be the king of your people. I don't have a throne. I don't have a house. I have a rock for a pillow. Where are you, God? What's going on? And it's interesting that this psalm becomes a big part of Jesus' life when it comes to the crucifixion. One of the last words that Jesus says while he's on the cross is the very first verse of this psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he calls to mind sort of this flood of emotion that David expressed in the psalm. And so as we read this psalm, one of the things we see is both senses of what he descended into hell might be. You see, as we sort of look through what exactly does it mean that Jesus descended into hell, there's two big ideas that the church has sort of attached to this through time. The first idea, the first big idea on what it means that Jesus descended into hell is the idea that he went down into the grave, that he was really see, there are a lot of people who are trying to teach early on that, yeah, yeah, Jesus was great, but he didn't actually die, right? It feels a little bit like Billy Crystal in uh, The Princess Bride. He's not totally dead, right? He's mostly dead. He's nearly dead, right? Some people were teaching that that was the case about Jesus, that he was mostly dead. But when the Creed says that he descended into hell one of the things that that is telling us is that he actually died. And as we sort of think of this, and we think of that psalm, one of the things that we can see is that Jesus has gone through everything that we have gone through. No matter what our sort of stage in life is, Jesus has experienced that because he was truly human and truly faced that. And when it says he went and descended into hell, one of the things that that means is that Jesus experienced everything in our lives up to and including actual death. Jesus has been through it all. And so he can walk with us through this life. You know, it's interesting. um, One of the ways that sort of hell uh, comes into our sort of modern language. One of the only times we hear the word hell is in the phrase, uh, something like, it's been a hell of a week. Right? That's probably one of the most common ways we hear the word hell. And ironically, this week, that has been true for me. Right? It has been a wild week. It started last Sunday when the roof in the lobby was falling in. And some of our volunteers had um, woke up and were going to get ready to come to church, and their plumbing was busted. It kept going when we had our termite inspection on Monday. And then it sort of got even better when we had some drama um, on Wednesday. And then Thursday, a tree falls on our house, um, as it does, and it pinches a power line and is angled at our air conditioner. You know, all, all of these things, and then, you know, we're dealing with that. We're powering through, and then, you know, Connor goes to the gym and does his little kids CrossFit thing, trips, drops a barbell, splits his lip open, get that all unbleeding and such, and, you know, come to find out on Friday he wakes up and he looks like the Joker from The Dark Knight. It's very gnarly. Had to go change out the kegs for the coffee and tea this week, the coffee store. uh, Bandit is changing their keg system. They said, oh, you've got all the parts. Look in the box that we gave you. You'll be able to figure it out. I haul the keg over here. Haul the keg upstairs. Look at the box of parts. Send them a text and go, I don't get it. And they call me back and go, yeah, you don't have the stuff. Okay, cool. So I have to go back to Bandit, trade for a different keg. All this, and then not to mention the fact that we had our first Bible study this week. I've got to preach on hell, and we've got a barbecue tomorrow. It's, it's been a week. Now, all of those things that have happened this week are wildly temporary and wildly fixable. Right? The guy came out. He was chainsawing one-handed, holding a rope. It was impressive to watch. And the tree is gone. It's already, no remnants of the tree exist in my yard. It's gone. The keg's fixed. You all had coffee. We're fine. Right? All of these things sort of go away. And yet, at the same time, all of us have experienced days and weeks that we don't want to live over. Have Not just days and weeks where there are sort of small things that just keep adding up. But days and weeks where there was real pain. Days and weeks where the heartache just wouldn't stop. Where it feels like you're wearing a scuba suit that's two sizes too small. When your chest just feels compressed with grief. With sadness. With struggle. And one of the things we see in Jesus is that He has gone through all of this just like we have. He knows that feeling of of aching and grieving. He knows what it's like to have things stack up and it just be one of those weeks, one of those days. He knows what it's like to experience loss, to have emotional pain and struggle. He knows what it's like to face death. Jesus has gone through all of this just like we are. And so in those times when God feels to us to be most distant, when it's one of those times where we go, I cannot see God through the fog of my circumstances, we can trust that Jesus is with us because he has been there and gone through this himself. And so in one sense, as we look at the Creed, when it says he descended into hell, what it's saying is he actually died and, and died for real. The other way that we sort of look at this phrase that he descended into hell is this, is that it, it tells us something true, but is in the wrong place in the creed. In fact, a number of churches um, move he descended into hell a few words earlier. So that the creed reads this, that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, descended into hell, died, and was buried. Why would they move that part of the creed around. The reason they do that is to show us what was probably meant originally by this he descended into hell, which is this. That what Jesus did on the cross was take the hell that you and I deserve. So that when he was on the cross, Jesus wasn't just physically suffering. He was actually experiencing hell. Which begs the question that we've danced around a little bit so far. What is hell? What is hell? And while the Bible never sort of sits down and says, this is in one spot a very clear picture of what it is, we do see as we read the pages of the Old Testament and the New Testament... That there is a place where God's wrath exists. And it is physical torment. And the reason why hell exists is not because God is mean. Not because God is frustrated and needs somebody to take his aggression out on. God is not a creatine up jock who just needs to find somebody to shove into a locker. The reason hell exists is because of the holiness of God. Because God is so holy. He is so completely different. He is so morally perfect and beyond our imagination that he cannot be in the presence of sin. He cannot be in the presence of those of us who want to run far from Him, who are treacherous towards Him. And so hell exists because God's holiness demands that it does. And this makes us uncomfortable, as we said before, because it means that our lives and our actions have consequences. You guys remember about 15 years ago when Gladiator came out. Like, every dude went to the movie theater and saw it, like, five times in the movie theater, right? It was like, for a long time, it was the quintessential guy movie, right? Russell Crowe in the gladiator pit with a sword, right? And besides the, are you not entertained line, the line that most people remember from that movie is when he is sort of yelling and says, what we do today echoes into eternity, He was talking about in the gladiator pit, but when we think about things like hell, what we're reminded of is that our actions have consequences beyond this life. And so what the cross was, was not just Jesus showing us how to sacrifice for others. What the cross was, was Jesus taking the wrath That you and I deserve. Taking the wrath for all of the ways that we run away from God. All of the ways that we chase other things. All of the ways that we try to find satisfaction and fulfillment. That are not the way that God has designed us to be. All of the wrath that was deserved for us was put onto Jesus This is why Paul, when he's sort of explaining all of this, says, this is why God can be both just, he can still be holy, and the justifier. He can be just and the justifier. What does Paul mean by that? What Paul means by that is that God cannot just say, sins be gone, poof, and forgive everybody. Because he's holy. Holiness demands that actions have consequences. So how can God ever accept you and I? By Jesus being the perfect sacrifice that takes your sin and mine. Takes all of the ways that we do not love our neighbors as ourselves. All of the ways that we sin in our thoughts, in our words, and in our deeds. All of the ways that we chase pleasure. That we want to be successful above all else. All of the ways, fill in the blank with your particular stripe of brokenness was put onto Jesus and the wrath of God was exhausted on Him. So that God's acceptance of us is not based on how well we perform. It's not based on God going, well, you were a decent person and you believed in me alright, that's close enough. It's not a curve. It's not like God says, okay, the top 40% of humanity gets in. No, because of the cross, what God is saying is, none of you deserve it, but I will exhaust my wrath for that onto Jesus. And if you will trust in Him, you won't have to pay for it yourself. And so for those of us this morning who are Christians this is good news. This is good news because Jesus took the wrath away from you. For those of you this morning who are here and who are not a Christian, we always want City Church to be a church where you can come and begin to see what it is to believe in Jesus. What the Bible teaches, what Jesus said while he was here on earth. And while this idea of hell, whether in the Creed or other places in the Bible, has been used to sort of shock and scare people. And I don't want to do that this morning. I do want to take just a moment and say, if you are not a Christian, what if you're wrong? What if you're wrong? There was a, a mathematician a French mathematician. He's got two strikes already, right? His name was Pascal. And one of the things that Pascal said was, I believe in God, and if I am wrong about that, I have lived a happy and fulfilled life. You do not believe in God. If you are wrong about that, the consequences are deadly and eternal. It's just something that should give us pause as we sort of consider these things. So where are you this morning? For some of you, this week has been a week of emotional pain. Bad things have happened. Things that you can't control. It's been frustrating and difficult. Your relationships have been strained. And one of the things that you can see is that Jesus was cast out. He was cast out into the darkness outside of the city, put out so that you and I could be brought in. So that you and I can be adopted as sons. Some of you come this morning and you feel trapped. You have this sin that you just can't quit and you wish you could, and you tried so hard to stop, and you can't. For those of us in that situation this week, we need to remember that Jesus has taken all of our guilt and shame away. When Jesus died on the cross, He said, It is finished. One of the songs that we sang this morning mentioned that the wrath of God was fully satisfied. Think about that feeling you have after a really good meal, right? I went to Cassis on Friday night and they had this, this poutine, right? The fries and gravy. It had foie gras and black truffles. It was so good. And when I was done, I was full. I was satisfied. I did not want another thing. Right? The wrath of God has been fully satisfied. And if you are struggling and feel trapped in a sin, Jesus says, I have taken away your guilt. I have taken away your shame. You are free to worship me. Some of you are weighed down by just the nicks and cuts this week. It hasn't been bad, but it's been death by a thousand paper cuts. Just one thing after another that just the ball keeps bouncing the other way. Jesus has been there. Jesus has experienced this. Jesus has experienced being a carpenter, and every time he gets a new piece of wood, the knots are in just the wrong places to build. He has gone through it and will walk with you through it. And so we walk away from this idea of Jesus descended into hell, knowing that that He has gone before us and He has gone through everything we have gone through, but not just that. He has taken and satisfied the wrath of God on our behalf. And so you and I are free to repent, to hold up and say, these are the things that I am struggling with. This is my difficulty. This is my pain. And turn our attention off of our sin and on to worshiping Him. this message frees us up to begin to look in faith to what God says is right and to begin to submit ourselves more and more to that. May God do that in our hearts this week.